Hi, everyone, and welcome to On Location. Before I introduce my guest, I just wanted to tell a little quick story to help kind of set the scene for the location I'm visiting today. I grew up predominantly in South Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia, and in 1989, I came to Los Angeles with my dad on a business trip, and I remember on the trip seeing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, actually, in the theater. We went to the Beverly Center. But later on in the week, after going to Universal Studios, doing the whole thing, I remember being in the hotel room and the TV being on and seeing these two guys sitting on a basement couch um, talking in a way that was completely relatable to a kid or, or a teenager. And really, that was my introduction to Wayne's World. A few years after that, I remember going to a theater in Atco, New Jersey, to see the feature film that was based on the Saturday Night Live skit. And it really, it was hysterical. It was surreal. It was self-referential. It was endearing. And it was just vulgar enough for uh, a young teenager, I think. And it, was, it really was completely original. Well, today I'm at what is arguably the most recognizable and popular location from the hugely successful 1992 film Wayne's World. Castle's music is in San Fernando, California. It's an incorporated city in the San Fernando Valley. The store has been in San Fernando since 1947, although the original store was about a mile away uh, down the street. Um, In 1978, the store owner, Ed, who still has it today, uh, he bought it, then moved the store up the street to where it currently is in 1984, and the store is still here. And it's the place where Aurora TV personality Wayne Campbell is denied permission to play Stairway to Heaven uh, on the Fender guitar. And uh, I should say the... 1964 Fender Stratocaster classic white with triple single coil pickups and a whammy bar. That's also where uh, Wayne's best friend Garth Algar gets his moment in the spotlight with an epic drum solo that was filmed right here in the store, which attracts visitors and tourists from all over the world because of its use in the film. Well, today my very special guest is the filmmaker of the hit comedy film as well as the punk rock metal documentary trilogy, The Decline of Western Civilization. The first of of those films uh, is preserved by the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress. 1983, Suburbia, which was released by Roger Corman's New World Pictures. The Boys Next Door with Charlie Sheen. Black Sheep with Chris Farley and David Spade. The Beverly Hillbillies, as well as another personal favorite of mine, The Little Rascals. I'm very happy to welcome back to Castle's Music director, Penelope Spheris. Thank you so much for coming today. Well, thank you, Jared Cohen. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, when was the last time you were here? I have to imagine it's when you made... That's sort of my icebreaker question, you know, like, because it's generally like... Yeah, the last time I was here was when I filmed, and I hope Ed isn't mad at me for that. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't come back and visit him? (laughs) No, you know, it's... uh, It's far, right? Basically, it's it's kind of far away, but it's worth the trip because it's just amazing. It's like a jewel out here in the middle of the desert, you know? Yeah. Do you remember now that you're sitting here in the store what you actually liked about the store when you when you came here to see it do you remember also looking at a lot of other music stores for that yeah, scene yeah we looked at really a lot of stores and there's so many factors that go into choosing a location some of them have to do with you know artistic and uh, creative decisions that help make the movie better but a lot of them also have to do with you know, practicality, like uh, parking, and uh, <laughs> and uh, would the city give you the permits and stuff like that. I remember liking this store because it, it just had a quaintness to it, you know, and a sort of um, 
real like familial kind of fun coziness to it and um i think yeah the combination of all those different things gave us uh casals does it feel like does it look like the same do you remember Honest, it looking like? honestly uh, when i look back on uh when i think back about working here uh, there seems to be like three times more stuff in here than there was back then. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I don't, I can't imagine shooting in here now because it is just like a lush garden of equipment that is um, like, where would I put my camera in here now, you know? <laughs> I mean, did you, do you remember though? Did you, I imagine you probably had to clear some stuff out of here, right? I mean, you had to do. Well, that's what a set you, decorator's right. uh, problem. Right. But, uh, you know, yeah. I guess when I say you, you got, you know, the film. Ge- uh, yeah, it, generically <laughs> me. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, we probably did, although I don't remember there being so much stuff, but it's cool, yeah. You can come here and you can see a few set pieces, pieces of set dressing that were left here after the <laughs> filming wrap shooting. I mean, the original plexiglass case that held Wayne's Fender is sitting right behind Penelope right now with the green base that he sort of does the kneeling on the, you know, paying homage to Excalibur is, is here. There are some colorful plexiglass pieces hanging on the ceiling that are also still from the movie. Ed told me they, they were left here. Now, when you look at these, what is this? I mean, what, what do you think this does, you know, adding this to the store? You know, uh, those production designers, uh, Greg Fonseca was the production designer, and he was a pretty magical guy. And he would always think of little extra special uh, accents to put in, you know, to to the to the various locations. And yeah, I remember uh, that he was just trying to perk it up and make it look um, fun and happy. Now, is that something that he would just do, or is he running that? I mean, you're the director, no, Greg, but is he... There, you know, it's it's always a back and forth, but there there were various locations where um, I, I most of the locations that we, we, we chose, you know, we chose, like, you know, together. But there were some where I went, uh, no, I don't like that. And then there were some that I said, let's do it. And then I came back and it wasn't dressed right, you know. It's, to me, didn't didn't work. Uh, and so we would have an argument, but that's life. <laughs> is there is there an example of that? Do you remember, like a place that you yeah? Was what was that place way? in the film where um, it was like a party or something that was going on? And uh, you probably remember the film. Well, there's the I, I mean, do. there's the but, there are the couple. There's the loft party at Cassandra's, and then there's the actual like Gasworks Club. No, it was a loft the party. Loft. Yeah, at Cassandra's. Yeah, and he had it a little too cutesy for me, and so he had like. Uh, yield signs up from the street and a bunch of stuff and so anyway who knows you know uh, the craziness that goes on when you try to make the movie look right totally well also to another element that is no longer here but ed actually has a piece of it in in the back there were these clouds uh, a piece of like cloud uh, yeah. thing going along on the top uh-huh. i mean in that i don't know to me and i'm looking at the poster and it's just like goes right along with the cloud poster yeah. i mean well that's probably just a kind of cosmic coincidence <laughs> you know that was one of the first uh marketing looks that, that i think the first but then after that there were so many others that copied that that look you know where you had the happy blue sky and yeah. the clouds and everything there were so many others that that um and then it works you know you look at it and you feel good it's a classic poster that's for sure yeah i love it you know, by the time you did Wayne's World, 
you know, the skit was already hugely popular. Mike and Dana are basically synonymous with <laughs> Wayne and Garth. So how do you come to this type of property that's already so well established and put your own touch on it? Where is like the heart and soul of Penelope Spheris in Wayne's world? Well, uh, you know, first of all, the skit was not that big a deal back then, mm. honestly. It was, it was on the show. Somebody got an idea and pitched it to Paramount. And they said, okay. And I think it was after that that it got more, after we did the movie, that it got more popular. It wasn't wildly popular. That's not why it got done, you know. It's just Lauren wanted to do a movie at Paramount and um, do movies in general and made a deal over there. And uh, somehow this one got thrown into the mix, you know, first. Sure. And um, was it first? I think, oh, no, Blues Brothers was first. Oh, yeah, Blues Brothers, I guess, is technically first. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I saw John Goldwyn the other day, and he said, uh, Lauren loves you so much. And I said, well, I love him, too. That's cool. And I said, well, why are you telling me this? And he goes, well, because you made him the movie that made the most money of all the oh, movies he go. ever made. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, then. I'll take that. I think someone told me, I think someone told me that Wayne's World is the only Saturday Night Live film adaptation to break the $100 million yeah, box office maybe. mark. I think that's what's Yeah, and said. Lauren years later asked me, because I had done a few studio movies at that point. You know, I did Black Sheet for, for him as well with Chris Farley. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to do a film called Ladies' Man. Yes. But I didn't do it. He got mad at me because I wouldn't do it, you know, because I didn't think I could do it right, you know. I read the script <laughs> and I'm like... I'm not going to do it if I don't think I could do it right, you know? But that kind of brings me back to the that second part of my question. So when you're seeing the Wayne's World script, where do you find yourself, you know, in that? Like, where where are you in there? What things do you... Honestly, Jared, over the years, the main question people have asked me about my career yeah. is... How did you come to do so many different kinds of genres of film? Okay. My answer is I always took whatever job I could get. So when Wayne's World came along, I I had not done a studio movie before. I was not in the Director's Guild. I was at the same time interviewing to do a documentary about a patent state hospital for the criminally insane. So when I found out that I was going to, and I wanted either job, you know, because nobody knew Wayne's World was going to turn into Wayne's World. So it was either the psycho bin or the psycho bin. And <laughs> and so I ended, I remember being at the, um, at the hospital out there and you know all these overly medicated people like zombies walking by and they had wall phones at that point and I made a call to my agent he goes you got the job at Paramount and I was in a nut house when I found out and then I went to uh, I went to go uh, do the movie and I was in another nut house but anyway (laughs) yeah but but I'm still and I know I'm just going to keep pressing but yeah you're going to spend a lot of time you know, making a movie, you know, you're devoting yeah. a lot of time of your year. life. Yeah. So what did you like about Wayne's World? You know, and, well, and so I was going to say, I liked that I actually could join the director's guild, okay. get paid. Right. Did, okay. Did but, I, is there, but is there, 
Yeah, but to, I like this. But, but there has to be something about the movie. Otherwise, like ladies, man, like you wouldn't. I mean, right? Like if you didn't think you could. Well, I had millions of dollars well, in my pocket at that point. That's I didn't true. Need to do I ladies, guess so. Man. I guess so. I was totally I broke when I did Wayne's World. I was borrowing money from my sister before I did Wayne's World. So. Um, Your sister, who's also a set decorator. Yes, right? she is yeah. the best in the biz. Yeah. But there, let me say this: when I when I got the script, I don't mean to be avoiding your correct question. It's just. I, I don't, first of all, ever like to take too much credit for the movie because I really do believe that it is a, a combination of a lot of brilliant energies coming together, a lot of brilliant comedians coming together and writers, everything. It was just a magical moment in time where everything came together the right way. And, you know, when you're living it and doing it, you don't even think, you don't even go, oh, my gosh, this is just like the most perfect magical moment of my ever time on earth. No, you don't think that. You just think I'm doing my job every day, you know. And I, I like the script. Um, there was a lot of politics to be involved, honestly, yeah. in, that in the beginning, so much politics. And it was difficult for me because I... Um, I hadn't really been through the studio system before. I didn't have, I didn't have uh, executives breathing down my neck all the time, you know, and I didn't have writers talking over my shoulder. I was in independent movies where I could kind of just do what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, I had to like skate this political, you know, nightmare. And um, I think I did pretty well. There was a point at which my agent called me up and said, "Penelope, you are going to have." to not rock the boat. I said, what is that? Why are you telling me that? He goes, well, because the studio is calling up and saying that you're not able uh, to make decisions. And I'm like, well, you told me not to, you know, you told me not to rock the boat, so I'm trying not to rock the boat. He goes, yeah, you don't rock it until your contract is signed. I will let you know the moment that your contract is signed, then you can rock the boat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I had to kind of just go like this because I, I was probably already shooting by the time my contract was signed. That's how slow the lawyers are, you know. And so I was like trying to like be the, the really assertive director and not step on any toes and piss anybody off so that they would have to say goodbye to me because I was first time studio director, you know. Right. But I think I'm going to tell you for me, though, what I feel like Wayne's World has that I okay, feel like yeah, you if bring I can't it. answer the I'll question, t- well, please, t- will well, you? I, well, yeah, well, I, you know, I you feel did. like, you know, you look at your previous movies, even including the Decline movies and The Boys Next Door and Suburbia, and I think you bring, obviously there's an interest in music, uh, which is in Wayne's World. There are a uh, couple of guys who are also kind of against sort of an anti-establishment thing going on with Wayne's World might not be the most prevalent thing like it is in perhaps some of your a couple of your earlier right. films but I think those are common themes that come yeah, they, into Wayne's they're fighting World. the man you yeah know? They're, they're fighting, fighting the man, corporate you know? yeah so I mean um I guess that's what I feel like you know yeah, <laughs> you know, you bring. To well, I didn't. World, I didn't you know. read the script and go, "Oh my gosh, this has the most beautiful, you know, like forceful political statement." I'm right. going to no. have to make this movie. No, but it just kind of accidentally had that undertone to it, which is cool. You know, I probably brought it out as much as I could yeah. too. Yeah, you know. Well, what interests you about those types of stories? I think that I like to be able to speak for the those who don't have a voice 
and you know uh, I also you know went, uh, Garth in in at one point in the film and I always quote this to this day he has a line which is we fear change yes. okay <laughs> and and I I think about that a lot you know because I don't fear change I embrace change and you know it is only protest and and being vociferous about your uh, problems with the world that gets any change done you know so i think that's why i embrace those kind of anti-establishment uh, concepts and premises you know and i think that's even prevalent in movies after wayne's world i even think that's prevalent in the little rascals for, for goodness sake you know i really? mean i think oh yeah. yeah i mean it's like you got all these little kids first of all you barely see well, you got the woman haters club yeah you got the woman haters <laughs> club but you barely you know you barely see the parents and it's just like these this group of kids and oh yeah maybe i'm going out on a limb here but i actually kind of feel like there's a similarity between suburbia and the little rascals you're freaky dude <laughs> Come on, you know. No, I, you're right. I, I, know. I really feel like there is. It, and no, you, there and is. You wrote, and you wrote both. Both. Yeah, I did. Too, and know? yeah, no, it, it's all about forming new families. Yeah, you know, the, you're very actually very smart for even thinking of that. And over all the interviews I've done thousands over the years, nobody has ever come up with that one. And <laughs> and to you, Jared Cohen, I take my hat off because that's a good one. And I I, I do see what you're saying though. Yeah, it's all about forming new families because your own families don't work, okay? People's own families are so just dysfunctional and difficult. So it's really comforting to go out, you know, as a punk rocker and fight a bunch of gutter punks and, and, and make your own new family with them. Yeah. Or if you're a little kid, go to the Woman Haters Club and have a, a clubhouse and make your new family with them and learn not to be a woman hater right. at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a really weird thing that pops up in uh, The Little Rascals, and that's Donald Trump, which is oh my god, I which know, which is really weird. Like I, I was rewatching it the other day, and I was like, oh my god, like, you, uh, I know. Here's the thing. And then there's like <laughs> then there's the thing during the credits yeah. when you're showing some of the cameo people, right, right? And he's like stealing the lady's popcorn next. That, that to was my her. assistant Rhonda. Oh my god, I was like, yeah, this is freaky. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that perfect? It is perfect. Well, what happened on that one was there's this building at Universal, we called it the Black Tower, and that's where all of the, it sounds very gothic, but um, it, it, it was where all the executives were housed, you know. So whenever you got a call from the Black Tower or go or, or a message that you had to go to a meeting in the Black Tower, your body just shook through and through, you know. So I get a call from the Black Tower, and Casey Silver says, we have an idea. We think that Donald Trump should be, um, you know, Blake. What was his name? Uh, the the kid, uh, the rich kid in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. His his uh, his dad. Right. And I'm like uh, Donald Trump. Let me think. Rich dude from New York. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a rich kid in the movie, so that that works. That works. But it, it you know, he wasn't who he is today, obviously. Right. But I'll tell you a funny story is when he only worked one day. Reba McIntyre was there. I was out in the stands. And we had, like, you know, a crew of 50 cameras set up. He pulls up in a stretched black limo. And usually when people get to a set, they, like, tiptoe because they don't want to intrude and make any right. noise or anything. I can just kind of hear where this is going. No. Like he drove. I thought he was going to run over the camera. Oh. His driver drove all the way up next to the camera like as close as you could possibly get and he the guy the driver goes and opens the door and donald trump comes out and 
waves to the crowd like a rose queen, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm here, I'm here, and I'm thinking, my God, what is this guy doing? <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, that was, um, that was my, uh, but he did it, you know, I have to say, he did an okay job, and he had Marlo Maples with him, I think, yeah, at that point. Probably, yeah. And um, she watched and clapped a lot. <laughs> and uh, You know, a number of your movies, too, including Wayne's World, you know, they take place in small towns or the suburbs. Um, did you did you spend time like growing up in the suburbs? Like, is there an attachment there for oh, yeah. you? Oh yeah. No. the The thing is, I used to say about the place that I grew not grew up because I grew up on a carnival temple to when I was seven, and then my mom married all these different guys. I had seven seven stepfathers, believe it or not. Uh, which was really cool because they all had different religions and I always get to go to different church or temple or whatever. Wow. I, I was always like, I had a really good religious upbringing. Um, very, very, um, you know, cross-section there. So we traveled around a lot and I ended up out in Westminster in, uh, well, Long Beach first, Chula Vista, National City. I mean, all these kind of uh, forsaken, uh, you know, uh, like, I would say that the oldest store in my neighborhood, the oldest building, was a 7-Eleven. And uh, so it was, uh, it was dreary, you know. Suburbia is dreary. And it's good because it, it forces you to become... No stairway, please. <laughs> it, they, um, it forces you to become uh, creative, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and so I would sit there bored out of my mind, and you know the thing I wanted as a as a fifteen year old was a typewriter, you know, so I could write, and um, it's your escape. So it, it, as bad as it is, it's good. Totally no, well, but I understand suburbia. Yeah, that's something I definitely see in in some of your movies. I mean, even again, even going to like. Black Sheep, even all through, you know? I mean, yeah. that's something I see. Um, I mean, you also worked on Roseanne, yeah. right, as a, yeah. as a writer and a story editor, right, right? Right, I mean, and that takes place, you know, in a Chicago suburb, Lanford, yeah. Illinois. You know, Wayne's World takes place in Aurora, Aurora. Illinois. Know. You know, um, I'm, I'm an Illinois expert at is this there, point. I mean, did, did something about working on Roseanne help you in any way, develop no. a sense of that? No. Okay. Uh, just no. about this sort of Midwest blue. No, collar. I kind of already know that you know anyway. That. You know what I mean? Because totally. I, I don't know. It's just that um, my mom was a, a bar. She used to call it a barmaid, and uh, <laughs> and um, so uh, all of all the people that she hung out with were just these blue collar workers. Yeah. You know, I, I knew the normal guy. Yeah, got it. You know what I mean? There was never any discussion about actually shooting Wayne's World in. Illinois, in Aurora. No, because that, Jared, that was in the days before tax breaks. Right. The reason people don't shoot in Los Angeles anymore, I'm sure you know, is because of tax breaks in other states. And so back then, uh, that didn't exist. So there was no question we were going to shoot here. It was a low-budget movie. I saw online that it says it's um, no stairway. I, I know, I keep saying that. It's a good joke. I just want um, to tell everybody, yeah, again, remind everyone, we're in a working like music store right now. <laughs> we're, we're, we're at Casal's Music. We're yeah. Music, yes. So um, it was very expensive to go on location, yeah. so we just had to fake it. And we did a lot of research, you know, yeah. and I got a lot of uh, stills and video from Aurora, so I tried to match it. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, well, what what are what are those challenges of trying to shoot a Chicago suburb in Los Angeles, or is it is it that big of a challenge? No. Well, the, uh, let me tell you the worst part: palm trees. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you if you every location when you go to, you have to have your palm tree cop. You know. Right. Because I mean, I'm looking at other things, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is perfect. And then I get the palm tree cop going. I'm sorry, you can't do this. We have a palm tree over there. Anyway. <laughs> so when you is it in that way? Is it constricting in terms of like your shot selection? Yeah. Like what you want to? Re- yeah. Like, you know what your first instinct is to to do? Yeah. You know, because I mean, nobody. <laughs> palm trees are the most unnoticed, except on Rodeo Drive, uh, Beverly Drive. Uh, palm trees are the most unnoticed item out in the in the landscape. So you just don't notice them. You know, until you already shot the film and you go, oh, geez, I got a palm tree in Aurora. What are we going to do? You did pretty good in Waynesworth, though. I, I was looking at it again. I don't see. Yeah. I, see I heard there was trees. a truck driving through Dances with Wolves. I've been looking for it. So. Oh, that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that. That's for sure. I know in the behind the scenes feature ad on that DVD, which is the DVD came out. I mean, that's an old DVD already. You guys got to do a new. Well, uh, no, they did. Oh, they did in do in February. Oh, they did, they oh, that's a, right. They did do a, a release, new. but they didn't really do any new didn't content any new for it. So yeah. you have me sitting there in a a leopard top, a leopard yeah. skin top, because it was cool back in the day, and it's embarrassing now. I look like <laughs> I know, isn't that funny? Katie, though, that's what's like... her name from the uh, whatever that Ed O'Neill family was? Yeah. Oh, married with children. Oh yeah, yeah. K- Katie Se- Segal. <laughs> yeah, I look like yeah. Katie Segal. Oh my gosh. Um... <laughs> We just got out of the 80s. What can I tell you? The, I mean, but you did. T- I remember you talking about um, trying to create a world for Wayne's World. And I mean, yeah. what did that world, what does that world feel like to you visually? What, what well, was that Here's world? the thing. I, as a director, yeah. when I read the script, yeah. I didn't go, oh, my God, we must create a world for, for Wayne. <laughs> I didn't think that. I just thought I'll shoot what's on the page. Okay. However, the writers and Lorne and Mike and not so much Dana – but the studio people were like, you really, because all this is is a, is a, is a basement uh, set with a couch and some people around. You really, really, I mean, some, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, camera guys around. You really must, um, uh, you really must, like, create the world of Wayne. And I'm like, they were making such a big deal out of it. It was stupid. I swear to God. And, um, and that's why they fixated so much on the house, Wayne's house. Yes, I want to ask you about that. Tell me about Wayne's house. Well, Wayne's house, <laughs> I must have looked at 50 houses that looked exactly the same, honestly. But I think what happens is it's like people got nervous, you know, because, oh, geez, we're making a movie and we, we, we got to do it right. And they start fixating on stupid little things like Wayne's house. Wayne's house could have been any house, you know what I mean? And I drive by, and I probably have driven by it before. I didn't even know that's Wayne's house. It looks like everybody's house, you right? Know? Right. But I guess that was the point. So wasn't uh, I think you had mentioned to me b- before? Wasn't Mike pretty involved in that process though? Like, well, more picking than out, any director would want to have a okay. actor be involved <laughs> in, in a location, choosing uh, a and uh, choosing a location. However, I you know, I, I wanted to respect everybody's opinions sure. and include them and. You know, the writers were also extremely involved, you yeah. know. And like I said, I don't wanna I don't ever wanna take all the credit for Wayne's world. No. Never, never. You know, I wanna give the credit to all those hundreds of people that worked on it, you know what I mean? 
I will take a little more credit than normal for editing, however, because (laughs) (laughs) I am a good editor, and um, our editor at that point was having a, a breakup with his wife, so he was having trouble. Malcolm Campbell, nicest man in the world. But I would walk in the editing room, and he'd be crying, and I'm like, dude, what's going on? You know, is it that bad? The movie that bad? And he'd go, no, I'm just my wife. Oh, man. So I had to, like, kind of step in and do a lot of the work, you know? And so I will take a little extra credit on the editing. Malcolm, forgive me. Uh, (laughs) But for the rest of it, it was a a group effort. Totally. Just know that I recognize certain things. Yeah. In the film that I feel like are you connect are the dots. You. You I connect can, that the I dots. connect it, you know. Yeah. Um, so another thing you guys did that I noticed is at all the different lo- many locations, exteriors, there were all these street lamps that were put up everywhere. Right. So what does that do? What do you feel that like that was Tao Van de Sant's um, brilliant idea to give the look of the movie some continuity mm-hmm. and evidently they must have a lot of these damn things in Aurora. Because every time I turn around, I'm like, I got to wait for the street lamp to be put there. And so it was just something to, that would, or it could have been, you know what, maybe it I think it was a, was a, like a lunch that maybe uh, Teo Fantasant, the shooter, and um, Greg Fonseca, the production designer, got together one day at lunch and went, let's just put a lot of street lamps in, you know, <laughs> and not tell her about it, you know? <laughs> well, it's so funny. I mean, <laughs> I was like, dude, there's a shitload of. <laughs> they're all over. Lamps. No, they're, they're, I mean, they're out here on the street. I mean, those are something, unless you're in a certain, maybe a certain area in Los Angeles, they're totally not. I mean, it does. It does uh, it gives help it a you get into that, feel. get into that feel. Well, also, yeah. too, because you guys shot in. Covina, I think, for some of just the driving, uh, the yeah. Grey Poupon thing. The uh, Well, that's where we shot Bohemian Rhapsody. Right, okay, Bohem- right. So there over in Covina, there actually are antique street lamps uh-huh. uh, that I think they, because they have that, they have yeah, like we didn't old put, town. We didn't put those there. Right, so I think you have that. I think it totally just, it definitely connects all of these yeah. places, you yeah. know. Um, uh, there was one location... I know that Greg wanted to shoot in, and I can't. Oh, it was something with uh, big, oh yeah, uh, uh, Tia and Wayne uh, and uh, Mike driving in the car uh, when he was trying to play a song for, it, and it was underneath all of these uh, high high uh, uh, voltage electrical uh, stacks, you know, that they have sometimes, and they're so loud that you can hear. Oh. You can hear them, and they're not good to be just around. Just the buzzing, just the... Uh, yeah, you're not good to be around, you know, and I got in an argument with Greg about how come I didn't want, I didn't want to work underneath all that electricity and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, it was always a good, healthy back and forth. Well, I was going to ask you, are there any locations you remember looking at that they couldn't, you couldn't, you that, couldn't get? That one, well, but, I mean, I you. How about want. you? How about you, though? But that's something that you like, that you like, but you couldn't, you couldn't get. Not really, you know. I mean, I don't think a movie is necessarily about the... I don't think the movie is necessarily about the locations, you know what I mean? They help, okay? Uh, Cassell's is great. It really helped. Sure. Uh, But it doesn't... uh, locations alone do not make a movie no you know what i mean no absolutely so i think i think for for me what what they do is they help to uh, I think in some movies more than others. In some movies, I think locations can become a character, uh, yeah, in and of themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like in suburbia, they're like all those houses that are exactly. all 
trash. Exactly. And yeah. actually, I wanted to ask you, where were all those houses in suburbia? Where was that? We uh, shot that in a place that we fondly uh, called Downer, and it was Downey, California. Okay. <laughs> actually, I think that that's funny because I was watching it a couple weeks ago, and I saw a house, and I saw a street sign. And this is what I do. I'm such a nerd with, with this stuff, you know, and I found really? the street sign. Oh, I hadn't no. noticed. Not <laughs> you know. It's cute. It's what I do, you know. And so, you know, I found this. I found the house where um, they're having the fight on the lawn and the homeowner comes out with the oh, gun. Oh, you did? Yeah, and I know that was in Downey. So now it all, of course, makes, makes sense. Well, the know? reason they were there is because the, they, they, they did uh, eminent domain. And bought all the houses because they were going to make a freeway through there. Okay. And then everybody had to move, and then they didn't make the freeway. So it was just like these boarded up houses. I mean, that's pretty, that's got to be pretty rare, though, to find a place like that that you can just turn into your own world, right? I mean, that you kind of have full well, rain, yeah, rain uh, over. Yeah, you understand, I wrote Suburbia. Yeah. So I, I knew the location before I wrote the script. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I knew what I was writing around. So you knew all that was there already? Yeah, yeah. I knew that was there, and I knew nothing was going to happen with it. Did you know, though, that you could get that area to shoot at? No, but I was taking my chances. (laughs) What else were they going to do with it? So Wayne's World has a huge, huge fan base. Do people contact you? A well, lot do, you about know that, do you know that, uh, maybe you're the uh, web uh, master, I don't know, <laughs> but do you know that there's a whole site for locations for Wayne's World? Yeah. I and think... I get people contacting me all the time, and they're angry, okay? And they go, okay, I saw that right there on that website, it said that certain location is in, in a certain place, and I think it's wrong. Oh, I'll tell you the one. Stan Makita's Donuts. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have had people call me and argue with me that Stan Makita's is in Aurora. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Hold on. First of all, the whole concept of Stan Makita's Donuts is ridiculous in the first place. <laughs> right. Right. Why would they have? Yeah. Because well, right. it's a takeoff of a yeah. donut joint in uh, uh, Canada that was named after oh, yeah. a hockey Tim Horton, player. Right? Tim Hortons, right? Uh, yes. I think that's, okay. a, that's the classic donut So it's donut a takeoff yeah. on that. Which, you know, four people got that joke, you know. <laughs> I sure in hell didn't. Somebody had to tell me later. I'm like, Stan Makita, okay. Let's see now. Read up on hockey, Penelope. But uh, anyway. Well, so people have actually said it's in Aurora. I know where it is in Aurora. Yeah, they argue with me. And they say, it has to be there because you've got those stacked up cars and those stacked up cars are there. Right. Okay, so the donut shop has to be there and they don't have it in their head that we could actually right. shoot it in two different places, put it in the same movie, and it would, you right. know, still be two different places. Totally. Yeah. So that place, I think I remember us talking about at one point was a flower it was, shop? A, it was a flower store on, I think it was like La Cienega it's or on someplace. It's uh, it's on. San I have it. It's on La Brea oh, in Inglewood. In Inglewood. La Brea in Inglewood. Yes, that's where it that's is. That's where it is. <laughs> and it, when we drove up to it, it was like just kind of a shell of a building yeah. with paper all over the glass windows in the front. That was a that was a lot of the budget went to making Stan Makita's donuts. Yeah, I mean, you guys really created a, a restaurant. Did it up? I mean, didn't we? It. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you look at, like, real donut places? They're too little. Yeah. 
You can't have Wayne, you can't have Garth shooting back 20 feet in a room that's 20 feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what sets in the movie were were built on stages then? So what are well, this, I mean obviously Wayne's basement has to be Yeah, that was up. the stage at Paramount. I think the one that surprises people the most and I'm actually very proud of it is that when they're lying on the car. Oh yeah. That's the sound stage. And the airplane that flies over is about Mm, two feet long <laughs> yeah so i'm very proud of that scene because we were able to fake that one pretty good you know? well i actually speaking of that scene i actually have a i, I have a couple of questions from a couple yeah. of listeners that i, I have. okay and well i have more than a couple of listeners but a couple of people <laughs> ask questions but, um, so one of them was and it's from derek and he says yes what did garth say during his rant when the plane flew over that you don't hear Oh, that's funny. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been asked that before. Yeah. I, my my answer is, re, is, is, I hate to quote Nick or whoever it was, read my lips, you know. But, um, yeah, I should have that one. I, I, I apologize, Derek. Uh, <laughs> it was probably It was probably a profanity. We were PG-13. And... For some reason, you know, when when Wayne is ordering food with Rob Lowe, Chinese food. Yes. For some reason, we got away with Wayne ordering the cum yes. of some young guy. The cream of some young guy. No, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Cream. That's better. <laughs> that was, mine was too nasty. Sorry. The cream of some cream young of guy. Some young so for some reason that slipped by them and a couple of other things slipped by them which would have immediately thrown us into an R. But it was probably just trying to protect some dirty word that yeah. um, Garth said. Of course, yeah. <laughs> when we spoke a couple of years ago originally, I was looking for the one location that couldn't figure out where it was, was the exterior of the Aurora 10 cable access station. And I ended up speaking, I, th I emailed back and forth with the film's location manager. Oh, I think yeah. even your assistant director on the movie. A couple of people. Okay, well, it's on the valley. Somewhere. It's in the valley. It's, some, it's, in, uh, it's actually not far from Wayne's house. It's uh, it's oh, like okay. very close, and okay. it's um, took me forever to to figure it out. It has a very distinct brick pattern on the front. The people, other people, crew members I spoke with, they sort of honed in the area, so I was able to. But I typed in some weird thing into Google, like brick, like interesting brick pattern van nuys something and these pictures came up of these people at a farmer's market with this exact wall behind it oh and you found it i found it and it's now today it's genius it's right off of victory boulevard in like uh -huh. lake balboa like right yeah. there in the park and it's today it's in a like it's a, an adult and child daycare center but oh, really? i don't i don't they, i think it was some communications place back yeah, then but it was like yeah. I couldn't believe it. But the way, like, I saw these pictures come up on Google with these people standing in front of this wall. You have, I, to, like, you have to be a detective to have it. your habit. I know. Well, you know, a loca one location manager <laughs> who I've, I've worked, I've interviewed a lot, he had a good term for it. He called it, like, film archaeology, which I really... Oh, that's Which good. I actually really like. Yeah. You know, I like that yeah. term. Um, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> the... Um, well, that tiki bar, that They call was, me a rock and roll anthropologist. I love so that. So that's cool. Well, that's great. Close, that's great. I should say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the the tiki bar was on like Pico, I think, right? Yeah, there. and I think it's sort of still there and yeah, sort of a, still looks like that. Yeah, it's a, I think it's, I went in there. 
Yeah. Now it's, it's a, now it's like a, just a Chinese, Chinese restaurant. restaurant. There's a bar. There's a, yeah. still a bar in and there. And we didn't and have to do much to it. You know? Oh, really? It's, it had, no, it, like, it yeah, really had, like, a Yeah, it totally did, man. And, we, you know, like, maybe we brought in a couple of drink umbrellas yeah. or something, but that was about it. Yeah. That place, I mean, yeah, today it doesn't look like that out, out front. I mean, inside. But the out front. Oh, it the, doesn't? Out, no, it's it's very dreary and, and dark in there, actually. But no, we didn't have to do that. But the exterior still has a tiki look yeah, over the... Yeah, over seen, the, I drive by that, yeah. yeah. The Laverne and Shirley thing, was that shot on the actual street where they... Did that yes. the, the intro and that yeah. was that a well, Paramount? Well, no, no, that was that was shot in um, on the lot, right? At, at Paramount. But did they do? But did they shoot the Laverne and Shirley intro on the lot? Yeah. So was it at the same lot? Did you? Yeah. Do, it was at Paramount. Paramount. So you did it on the exact same in front of the exact uh-huh. same brownstones yeah. that they. That I think they we shot. had to reconstruct the set because the show was dead by then. Right. But yeah. The uh, and the brewery was like was that also a Paramount? That was right there at Paramount. So you just set. made like uh, a, a one of the industrial conveyor looking sort of belt, belt. Yeah. With beer on it or whatever it That's was. That's cool. Yeah. And the Alice Cooper was that at Universal? Universal. Universal. Um I think they just now changed it. It's gone. But Totally yeah, gone. amphitheater, amphitheater yeah. it's called. Yeah. And that's where we shot that. And right behind there is where we shot Chris Farley. Yes. And, uh, you know. Giving all the information about Mr. Big. Yeah, going <laughs> too much, way. Too much information. Yeah, about. right. <laughs> Was Alice actually written into the script? Or no, did you, actually, did you, like, Mike wanted Aerosmith. Who was in the, there in the sequel. They well, appear in let there. me get to that. Okay. Because okay. what <laughs> happened was Mike wanted Aerosmith. Yeah. And they evidently, because, uh, you know, Wayne's World wasn't Wayne's World at that point. So Aerosmith read the script, and I think they thought they were too cool to do it. So they said no. And I had just worked with Alice on Decline 2. Right. And I, I adore Alice. He's so easy to work with. Uh, and just a great dude. And so I suggested Alice Cooper. And the reason we use uh, Feed My Frankenstein was because if you know the way record companies work is you can have our artist if you promote our new song. So that was the new song. And that's how we got it. And uh, yeah. That's you cool. Know, we had no idea that Alice was uh, going to you know, be so good at uh, memorizing lines like that whole Algonquin yeah. run that he <laughs> yeah. does. Because, and even Alice, I talked to him lately, he goes, I want to say two things. He goes, when I got to that set, I thought all I had to do was stand there and let them go, we are not worthy. <laughs> However, you handed me two pages of dialogue. And I said, and you handled it very, very well. He remember yeah. he he learned it on the spot, you know. And he's very natural. I actually just watched it again. He's like, he's really good, actually. Yeah, you know? like, <laughs> yeah. And and the other thing he wanted to gripe about uh, was he had to get it off his shoulders. I could tell. He said, and <laughs> why? He goes, this has been bugging me for years. Why did you have a snake around Cassandra's neck when she performed? He goes, you totally stole that from me. Uh, and I went, you know what, Alice? I have to be honest with you. I did. Yeah. I did steal it, but I didn't consciously steal it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't go, oh, let's copy Alice Cooper and put a snake around her. And the poor girl, the snake was like 100 yeah. pounds, you know, and the base was like 40. And so the <laughs> poor girl was standing there trying to keep her bikini on with all this weight. But... um 
No, the fact of the matter is, Alice is a cool dude. He yeah. finally got it off his chest about his two problems, and uh, everybody <laughs> <Finally>. loves him. <laughs> everybody loves him in Wayne's World. Yeah, but it's you know the snake obviously is Rob Lowe, right? I mean, like he's he's like well, that he's was the, snake, the right? yeah, that was supposed to be the uh, reference, yeah. but uh, is that you or the snake? Right. That's the yeah, thing. yeah. That's but the Alice thing. took it personally. He is famous for having a snake around his neck, for sure. Did the script originally have it where characters would talk to the camera? Yeah, I, I mean, which I everybody a... was afraid of. Oh, really? All the studio was like, "You can't talk to the camera. You got to pretend the camera's not there." I said, "No, I swear to God, I can make it funny." And not just talking to the camera, but the, the panning of the camera away from well, the, the character. Well, the camera's a that's character. Whole, exactly. Looking back at that movie, is there anything that you think works? particularly well that you're really proud of or and anything that maybe you're not so happy uh, I'm with. very proud of the three endings okay. and Bernie Brillstein who was the manager for all those guys forever God bless Bernie he's gone now but Bernie during the um, the table read we, he said come with me into the kitchen and we were over at Raleigh Studios he goes you know Penelope this could work it's, it's weird but it could work but I'm going to bet you $100 that those three endings are not going to end up in the movie. And I said, you're on, man. And he died before I got my 100 bucks, oh, which kind of pissed me oh, off. Man. But I love him anyway. The scene I don't like. Yeah, yes. I fought and fought like hell to not have to do that scene where Wayne opens the door and there's a whole ninja setup going on in, in the room. You know, it didn't make sense to me. Oh, yeah, from the it's donuts like, to the Ritz Stan yeah, right? And he, he goes, opens that up. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mention that. I was looking at it, actually, that scene today before I came over. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree with you, actually. Good. You know, yeah. it's, I fought little... and fought. I didn't want to do that. The, so the album was very popular, the soundtrack. I think, like I said, I think I was doing some research, like double platinum, the soundtrack. Was Bohemian Rhapsody written into that? Was was that something? Yeah, when I got the script, that song, you know, I have to uh, give uh, Mike and the writers credit for that one. It was not me that chose Bohemian Rhapsody. I, you know, I did Ballroom Blitz and all the other music in the film, but it was originally there, but the headbanging was not there. Okay. And Mike and Dana, mostly Mike, did not want to do the headbanging. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's. They, I mean, they did it for a minute, and then they said, "Let's. This isn't funny. Let's not do this." But that's what I mean. That's getting back to what we where I started this conversation with. That's like, that's you. You know. Yeah. I mean, this movie. I, I mean, knew it you was look funny. At, you look at uh, the, the the in in is it the second decline movie where they talk about headbang or is it the first one? I can't no, remember. The second where they're talking about what I headbanging. A, I did you know? a movie in '87 called Dudes with John yeah. Cryer, and Flea is in it. And in that movie, they're, they're driving across the desert and they're singing Hava Nagila and they start singing it like punk rock Hava yeah. Nagila and they start banging their heads to it. That's where the scene in Wayne's World from Bohemian Ra- with Bohemian Rhapsody came from. Oh, cool. If you look at Dudes, you'll see where that came from. And Dudes, uh, I do want to mention though, Dudes is coming out this week, right? On Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. It's, it's October th- 10th, right? It's the 10th. Yeah. I know. It's actually, I haven't seen it yet because I haven't been able to, well, I haven't nobody really been has. able to see it. So yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. So that's very, that's very cool. Um, if Wayne's World was set in, if it was actually an L.A. movie, like if the characters were L.A., how would the movie be different? And how would Wayne and Garth be different? Or would they, would they be? 
I don't know. It would be too Bill and Ted, or oh, you know what I mean. It would be a little too um, surfer slacker or something. Yeah, you know, it had to be like Midwest bland to be funny. I think that would be the difference. You know, you can't have yeah. the California beach thing going on. The way they like Wayne and Garth would hold themselves, like their posture. Uh huh. Is that something that they just kind of brought to it, or is that something like you from your experience, like working with people? No, that, like, they they did that. Yeah. They, they, actually, they both <laughs> they both they they argue over who created the Garth character, you know, <laughs> which Dana uh, had a lot to do with. Um, you know, like he had to have all that weird uh, contraption crap in yeah. the car with the, the licorice dispenser and all that. You know, uh, he. He's the one, and the hand when, you know, we do the yes. scene with the, yeah. He, uh, he's the one that came up with all that. Um, and, and why they have to argue over who created the character is beyond me. But, um, I, <laughs> that, you know what? No, it's not beyond me, because here's how that works. If you look at any great comedians over the decades, uh, you know, Laurel and Hardy and Costello yeah. and uh, Martin and Lewis and all that, they, none of them got along. you, you got to argue and disagree in order to make it funny. If it's okay, I want to have Ed, the store owner, over, owner sure. come over. He has a couple of uh, good stories. Ed, how's Do it going? sit down, Ed? Hello, Jared. I wanted to bring him in because he gets a lot of people, like, right? You get a lot of people coming in here, to, uh, Wayne's World fans, right? Yeah, ever since the movie came out, Every single year, we get uh, either a handful or quite a few handfuls of Wayne's World fans who want to see the, the music store that it was filmed at. And they come, uh, what we've noticed is lately, they come from around the world, mainly from Europe and then Australia. They come during the summer and... They, they come in and we they take pictures. Uh, I, ha- I take pictures of them with the, the hat on and so <laughs> forth. And they, they love it. And uh, what's very interesting is the majority of these fans are, as we speak today, they're in their mid-20s to early 30s. Wow. They were not even born yet when the movie came out. Wow. And yet it's their favorite movie. They tell me this is my favorite movie. Oh my gosh. And I want to see where it was filmed. And, um, and it, it's just amazing that, uh, and, and they make it, some of them have planned their, they call it a holiday, but it's a vacation to America. They specifically want to see the store where Wayne's World was filmed. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get that. that with the decline movies, people that love the decline oh, yeah. movies that weren't born when the first one were made. But to hear it about Wayne's World is is um, really uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> I know it blows me away. In fact, my favorite story is probably about three years ago. I had a couple of um, two young to middle aged couples from Australia who specifically came to see the store Wayne's World was filmed at, and. On their way out, after after spending a half hour here and taking pictures, on the way out, they asked me if they could have my autograph. Oh, and that right. just—that's the first and only so time cool. I've ever been asked for my autograph. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. There was also though there was something that happened. To, right, you told me about when 
they were filming the movie here, right? Something with the with the Fender guitar. Now, was it actually a '64 Fender? That that the way they describe it in the movie? It was a replica of a '64 Fender Strat. And as uh, as I was standing behind the counter while they were rehearsing, I noticed a um, a misrepresentation in the description of the guitar, and. To anybody who plays guitar, if, if you're a 12-year-old and know what a Fender was, you would have immediately heard that discrepancy, and it had to do with describing the pickups of the guitar. And uh, what Tia was saying in the rehearsal, she was describing it as uh, either three single coil, uh, three humbucker pickups or triple humbucker pickups or, or something, and they're not humbucker pickups a humbucker is a way different pickup that's used on many other guitars but not on the fender but she still says that in the movie no no i the only (laughs) guy because i don't know why else i would know the word humbucker that's what was Uh, written in the script oh that's why i know and that's what she was saying in the rehearsal so you fixed it for us well yeah i I, (laughs) what kind of pickup was it ed they're single coil pickups Oh, and, okay, okay, yeah. Right. That's what she says, huh? That's what she that's says. What she did, yeah. Okay. And Thanks to Ed. Right. Like, that's a, for me, that, I mean, that's, a, that's awesome, man, you know? Yeah. Know. Yeah. And the reason I, I, I stepped forward to, you know, you got to remember I was young and uh, I didn't want to step on any toes, but I knew that any, any fan who watched the movie who, who knew anything about guitars would totally notice that mistake and Cassandra would lose... Credi- All credibility. credibility yeah. Yeah. So we, we made that correction, and uh, the, the funny part is Cassandra Tia had already memorized three humbuckers. Yeah, <laughs> and so it took many, I won't say how many takes it took, but they finally got it right. That's yeah, a, because that's when great. she does the run, it's like this whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. Gook. Of yeah, I know. Which I, do, which I tried to do in the intro, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't get it out. But yeah. well, that's well, awesome. That's, thank you. That's a great story. And, and, on, a, and, on a higher budget, we would have had a consult uh, consultation guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. Well, you had here. here well, I mean, you know, yeah. and, and I did it for free. Okay. I did it. For that's free. right. We owe you. That's awesome. Yeah. That's such a cool story. Well, I, I, Ed, thank you for letting sure. us come and do this today. Uh, my pleasure. The store is awesome. You know, love I love it. coming here. Uh, it's it's. It's fantastic. Great. Um, I'll let you carry on here. No problem. No okay. Problem. I just have a couple more questions from I'm a couple. I'm getting a humbucker tattoo, by the way. <laughs> oh, dude. So I had a couple other friends and a couple listeners have a couple of questions. Okay. My one friend, John, he says, those of us from Illinois feel that Wayne's World really took place and was shot around Chicagoland. Thanks to Jared, I now know that isn't true. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any connection to Chicago? And as the director, what... What did you do to ensure the film felt like a Chicago, Illinois movie? Most of the Chicago stuff, or I should say all, Chicago and Aurora was shot by second unit yeah. with, uh, you know this, Jared, with doubles. Right. You right. know, so my job as director uh, was to make sure that I approved the way the doubles looked. I was going to ask you if you, who approved that the doubles? Well, like to... I said, you know, we can we can shoot those guys but you you know you can't use anything uh, closer than a twenty five millimeter because you're going to see it's not them. Yeah, you know. Fernando asks now that the '90s are officially retro, just like the '60s, '70s, and '80s before them. The amount of nostalgia in young adults will inevitably see an avalanche of '90s set films come out. 
uh, and it seems it's true. There's like this thirty year thing. You know, it's like this decade. Yeah. it's been all about the eighties. Yeah, you know, and now things even clothing wise. You see things right. like from the Gap. Everything's like flannel Nine. shirt type yeah. type things, you know. So they're going grunge. On yeah, the Gap's exactly. Going grunge. Exactly. So he says, "What what does the quintessential '90s set rock film need to truly represent the era, and why is such an important era in American rock so underrepresented in films?" With uh, your film being an exception. Oh, well, thank you. But I honestly think that. Um, People either people in the business that either know the music business or they know the film business. There are very few people that know both, mm. and so I, you know I don't want to pat myself on the back, but having started out doing uh, music videos in the seventies, I learned the record, the music business, you know, and I kn- I learned how they think, and it's very different, you know, than than the way film people think, you know, yeah. so. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, p- people not understanding both worlds, sure. you know. Thank you so much for doing this today and coming to Castle's Music. I'll am, tell you, I like enjoy driving out here and I think it's a really, really cool place. And Ed is awesome. And <laughs> yeah, and so are you. And thank you so Thanks. much for having me. I, I do want to mention again that your film Dudes is coming out yeah. October 10th. I really want to see it. I've never seen it. Uh, I do want to say that right after we stop this recording, Penelope's doing a little meet and greet here, which is so cool. I'll give you a dude's uh, Blu-ray if you want Oh, it. I totally want I, I don't have them yet. but I, I totally want one. Yeah, right, right on. Just um, bug me. But Penelope's do, you know, hanging around to meet, meet some fans, and she signed this awesome white Squire Stratocaster that um, people are going to bid on, I hope, and the proceeds are going to go to the store's Play It Forward program, which helps put musical instruments in the hands of kids who might not otherwise be able to afford them. Ed is very, as you've heard, very welcoming of Wayne's World fans. So if you're in the L.A. area, be sure to stop by Castle's Music. It's at 901 North McClay Avenue in the city of San Fernando. If you like what you hear on this podcast, make sure to follow us on Facebook at On Location with Jared Cowan, on Twitter at On Location PC, and on Instagram at On Location Podcast. Thanks for listening and joining us on location. Party on, dudes.